Good morning, church. We, um, you know, sometimes we gather together, there's certain prayer requests, there's maybe uh, um, something we, we just bring to the church and say, be praying for this family, whether it's sickness, death, cancer, whatever it may be. Monday, uh, Dave Meyer, um, you know, went had the funeral service for his father, and, and, you know, we have one of those kind of weeks, but then we get good news. And that, not that that was necessarily bad news because, you know, our brother's in heaven. Um, but then we get exciting news about a baby being born. You guys a little excited about having another grandkid? That's awesome. So glad that Bill and Krista have the experience of having a new child, and we just pray for them. And we get to rejoice with those families when great things happen. So make sure as a church, not only do we pray for people when they're down, but we also praise God when great things happen and we celebrate with them. And, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, grab your Bibles. I'm going to tell you something. Um, today is going to be one of those days where your fingers might get a little tired from flipping through the pages, okay? We'll throw the reference up on the screen, but you're going to have to find it in your Bible or in your smartphone. If you've got an app or something like that, that's fine as well. Just don't be doing any Angry Birds or candy, whatever that is. Anyway, um, so grab a Bible. If you want to have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you in the back. And um, if you want to, then you can also look off somebody right next to you as well. That works. Uh, but either way, we are going to be in the Word today. Let me ask you a question. When you enter a school, you come into school, and don't answer this out loud, but who is in charge? Just think about it. The principal, right? Or maybe the superintendent overall, but... When you enter a classroom, who's in charge? I'll let you answer this one. The teacher, good answer. When you enter a workplace, who's in charge? It's through the CEO, the president, or the boss, right? When you step onto a team, who's in charge? The coach, right? When you sit in the band room, who's in charge? It's the director, right? You know what authority looks like, don't you? I just ask you where the position is, where the place is, and you can tell me who's in charge. We know what authority looks like, right? And when you entered this world, who is in charge? Mom. I mean, uh, God, right? Yeah, we know who's in charge. We know that authority is needed. If we, without authority, what do we have? We have chaos. We have disorder. And it gets crazy and there's pain. So to bring structure and organization, we need authority. And without the boundaries, without the rules, chaos, pain, it's just a mess. So who's capable? Who is knowledgeable enough? Who can we depend on and go to and say, They've got to be powerful enough to be in charge of this world. Who is that going to be? We know that we are disqualified. There's no way. Our knowledge is limited. Our emotions are tainted. They're all over the place. And in spite of the thought that the next president will have world-changing power, it pales in comparison to the power that is needed to be in charge of this world. Only one is qualified to be in charge of this world. Only one. And that is God. And if God created this world, think about this. If God created this world in all of its splendor and its uniqueness, 
an incredible universe filled with intertwining and incomparable physics and with order. Is he not worthy of being in charge? But if God's in charge of this world, let me ask you this. If he is the one in charge of this world, why don't we act like it? Why do we struggle with that? Or or do we have a problem with that? Do we recognize God as the sovereign, almighty, all-powerful, loving, just, all-knowing, and all-present God? Let's get a little personal here. Do you know God? Do you believe in God? And I don't mean, do you believe there is a God? There's a big difference between, do you believe there's a God? Do you believe in God? That's a big difference. I read a a crazy statistic the other day uh, in this book, and it said that 90% of Americans believe that there is a God. They believe there is a God, 90%. Obviously, they don't all believe in God. Otherwise, our world would not be the way it is, right? It's in the midst of our busy lives that God longs for us to be in his presence and in the midst of politics and debates and riots and racial tension and broken relationship, God says, I want an intimate relationship with you. In the midst of all that, which is crazy. And this can be really challenging. With all that life throws our way, you think about it. Some of you came this morning with all kinds of thoughts and you're having a hard time focused because life is going on at your house right now. And it might have been going on on the way here. You might have been late this morning because of something that took place at home. Or maybe something happened yesterday and you're still feeling it. Or this past week. And you're thinking, I'm telling you, work, kids, travel, church, social life, it is hitting me on all sides. And I don't, this is crazy, right? So many things that can get in the way of our time with God. So sometimes it's hard to know God because, well... It's like a relationship, especially for those of you that maybe have recently dated or are dating or been in that dating thing. You know it takes energy, it takes time, and intentions have to be great because you cannot build a relationship without intention. And to know God requires the same thing. You will get to know someone and either pursue that relationship intentionally or unintentionally. It's going to happen you know it takes action. And the same way with God, in the midst of everything that's going on around us, if you want to know God, it takes an intention on your part. There's action. And we know that actions speak louder than words. A lot of people say, well, I believe in God. Do you? Show me your actions. If you believe in God and you want to know God, you can show me that. Right? And knowing God is more. It's, it's so deep. To know God, you need to study God. The difference between counterfeit money and real money is sometimes hard to detect, right? The other day I went in, uh, pulled out a, a 20 to pay for some stuff, and the first thing that lady did behind the cashier, everybody knows what they do, right? They take it and they do this, and they hold it up there, right? I really don't know what they're looking for, okay? Um, they're, and I, maybe somebody can fill me in after church and say, well, they're looking to see that this is going to show up or something. I don't know. Maybe that's like a, they hold up to a light and it thinks it's real, or something. I don't know. Fake. Right? I don't know. Okay? But they hold it up and they check for it. But here's how you can check to know what is real and what's counterfeit. They study, those who know the difference, study what? The real thing. They don't study counterfeits. Because counterfeits can come in shapes and forms. So they study the real thing, the real currency. So that when they see something that is not real, 
they right away know this isn't real. It's fake. Why? Because I know what the real thing looks like. So when it comes to knowing God, there's a lot of counterfeits out there. So how do we know God? We've got to study the real God, the one and only true God. And so I ask you this, do you know God? Have you studied God? Have you learned about God? Are you seeking God? Church, that's why you're here this morning. You didn't show up this morning to get extra credit, okay? I don't know if anybody had a school assignment this week, students, where it's like, go to church and you get extra credit. I don't think that happens, okay? I don't know, maybe you're thinking in your mind, if I come today, I will be forgiven of everything because I showed up. It doesn't work that way. The reason we come and gather here is to worship God and God alone. That's why we came here. Turn with me now as we start going through the Bible. The book of Ephesians, it's in the New Testament. You pass Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You in the first and second Corinthians, you get a bunch of small books. There's one in there called Ephesians. And again, a lot of the, uh, I was talking to Dan earlier. I said, Dan, I'm giving you a lot of scripture to throw up there today. You don't have to put the page numbers on if that helps. He goes, no, it, it helps because if you've got one of the Bibles in the back, you can just turn that page number and get there really quick. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And I apologize if I throw a verse up here that Dan didn't get, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. Actually, we'll go to 16. I've not stopped thanking God for you. Ephesians 1, 16. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. This is really cool. Paul says, listen, I'm praying for you because I want you to know God. I want you to have some spiritual insight here. Verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can, what, understand the confident hope that he has given to those he's called, his holy people, who are rich in glorious inheritance. Verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Verse 21. Now he is far above any ruler, or authority, or power, or leader, or anything else. Not only in this world, but the world to come. Paul says, God is above all things. I want you to know him. I'm praying that you know him. Do you know him? Go to the Old Testament, Psalm 46. Psalm is basically lands about right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 46. In Psalm 46... It's, it's interesting. It says, uh, this is, there's little notes usually above. and says, who wrote this psalm and how it should be sung. And it says, for the choir director, a song of descendants of Korah. This is to be sung by the soprano voices. So this morning, if you're a soprano, I would like you to relax. You don't have to sing it, okay? And everybody else, you can relax because I'm not going to sing it, okay? Here we go. Verse 1, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we'll not fear when earthquakes come or when the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos Their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. 
The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come and see the glorious works of our Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars in throughout the earth. He breaks the bow. He snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Do you know that God? Jeremiah says this in chapter 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their powerful or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me. Did you hear that? Should I boast in my wisdom? Should I boast in my riches? No, what do I boast in? I boast. Those should boast, should boast in God alone. They truly know God. They understand that he's the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love, who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And I delight in these things. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in the Lord alone. You know what boast means? Boast means to brag. It means swag. It does. Like, oh, you got your swag on. Yes, that would be the 21st century swag is the biblical term for boast, okay? I don't care how you break it down. If you look at the Hebrew, there's a little S. No, I'm just kidding. But that's sort of the correlation. If you can think about that, okay? When we boast, it's, it's funny because we boast about a lot of things, don't we? we? We boast about being strong or rich or powerful. We boast about all kinds of things, our trophies, our awards, our salaries, our position. We boast about what? Our kids and their accomplishments all the time, don't we, parents? You know what my son did? You know what my daughter did? Check this out. Look how good they are. They are so awesome. I love them. We boast in our kids all the time. We boast in what we have. We boast in what we do. And what does Jeremiah say? Stop boasting in all those things, but boast in God alone. Put your swag on for God. Let people know that you are excited. You are proud of who God is. Boast alone in this. As Jeremiah says, that I know who God is. That's something to boast about, that you know God. Who is God? I'm telling you, it seems like today everybody's coming up with their own idea of who God is. They, they sort of sculpt him and define him according to what they want. Well, he's a middle-class God, comfortable with lifestyle. He's sort of got a half-hearted devotion and he loves material pursuits. That's sort of my God. That sort of fits me, right? And you may not think so, but how often do you hear people say, well, I don't think God is like that. I think God likes... Well, I think God... Okay, let me ask you this. Where did they come up with that? Their opinion, right? You can't define God. You can find truth about God. This is where we define God. But we tend to come up with our own definition. I'm telling you, God cannot be redefined. We need not a definition, but a revelation of who God is. We need to see who God is as he is, not as we define him. And that's why this morning I'm taking you into the word. I'm taking you back to school. Is sort of what our next few weeks are going to be about because we need to get back to the foundation of what we understand, what we believe, to know who God is. If you do not know God, you will not live a life of faith. If you do not know God, you will not walk in the right direction. 
we need to know who God is. There's a book entitled, What Do We Mean When We Say God? It's basically a compilation of people's answers to that question. What do we mean when we say God? And a lot of people, thousands of people were asked that question. Here's the answers. Some of them, you can imagine, they, they varied greatly. One person wrote this. My opinion of God is that everyone sees God in their own way. I see God as being black. And a white person sees God as being white. I have no objection. We just see him differently. Another person wrote this. I know Santa Claus is not real, but if he was, God would have the exact personality of him. Okay. Can you see how these opinions start going all over the place of who God is? There is a God. And he is who he is in spite of who we think he is. We cannot invent or define who God is. We can only have a revelation and understanding from truth of who God is. He is infinite. He is an eternal spirit. He is a self-existent creator of the universe and sovereign over it. That's a a really brief definition of God. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 25. You don't need to turn there. I'll have you turn to a different uh, passage in a little bit. Paul said this in Acts 17, 24 and 25. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. All human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. These are things that we can discover about God as we go into his word. We understand his attributes, his characteristics, who he is. He is holy. He is loving. He is just. He is full of mercy. And that's something that we can see as we live out our faith in one another. We can see how people can be loving and just and merciful, right? And forgiving. But then there's that part of God that we can't even touch. That he is eternal, unchanging. He's present everywhere. He knows all things and he is all powerful. That's where we step out of the picture and say, can't even relate to that, right? His attributes set him apart from all others. That's why we proclaim him as glorious. His glory encases all who he is. And then we have to sit there and say, so if that is him and his glory, do we want to see his glory? Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 33. Genesis, Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament. So you're going right to the front of the Bible in Exodus chapter 33. We have a time here with Moses. Many of you remember Moses. He helped the children of Israel get out of Egypt, get away from Pharaoh. He's been out with the children of Israel out in the wilderness for quite a time. God told Moses to get his people and get going out of Egypt and go to this new land. And he was pretty excited about it. But then this. Let's go to verse 8 of chapter 33. Whenever Moses went out of the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and he'd stand at the entrance of their own tent. They'd watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover over its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and they'd bow in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp and young men assisted. Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. 
One day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you'll send with me. You've told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that I might understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. I love this. Moses like, God, if you won't go with me, I won't go. I know you want me to do something, but God, if you're not going to go with me, forget it. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me and your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked for. I look, for I looked favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Can you believe that? Moses face to face with God's like, I want to see you. I want to know you more. God's like, I'll go with you. I'll go with you, right? And Moses said, okay, but here's the deal. I'm not moving unless you're moving. And here's the thing, God, I want to see all of you. Now, as you read on, you realize you can't see all of God and live. God says, I'll show you my glorious presence. I'm telling you something. That would have been an incredible thing to look in your to see what Moses was going to get to see. And I have to ask myself, would I be the same way? Would I be the same way? Do I want to know God that much that I want to see all of God? And you know, I can't see all of God. How much can I see of God? How much can I know of God? Am I that passionate in pursuing God? How do we see God's glory? I know this. Every time we pick up God's word, we have the opportunity to see God. We have to look into God's word to know God, to see God. We must read from his words. The building. If you've not been by on Shoop, I'm sorry, on Elm Street, West Elm, and looked at the building process right now, it is moving. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty exciting. Okay, But we know this, that once the outside is taken care of, it's going to take a long time for the inside. So it's like, oh, every day we see progress, right? And there's going to be a little time. It's like, is anything going on over there? But we know on the inside there will be, right? And it gets really exciting. And then the last two Wednesday nights with all the kids, I'm telling you, this has been incredible. The first two nights, preschool, we used to have two. We got 11. Oh, okay. We go into the little kids' classroom, like four or five. No, they got 16. Okay, we go into the other class. Well, they got 16. And we go into the youth room, and they've got like 40 plus. And then the next week, everything's a little bit higher. We're like, wow, we had to, we had to take our two kids' classes and break them into three so we could have enough, and it's like, it's incredible, right? So we're getting really excited about what God's doing, right? But you know what? It's not for our glory. It's not. Even though we post stuff and on the Facebook or wherever, that's not for our boasting or our glory. It's worth getting excited about, no doubt about, but there's more to church than that. There's more to church than a building. There's more to church than a kid's class. It's about knowing God. That wooden structure and those class of kids mean nothing if we are not equipped with the knowledge of God. They can show up all they want. We can give them candy and tell them cool stories. But if they don't know God, it's for nothing. And that building that's being built right now means nothing unless we fill it with people who want to know God. 
being equipped with the knowledge of God is what shapes us. It's what directs us. And church, that's why I'm coming to you this morning and preaching to you about knowing God. It must be a priority in our life. We know our teams. We know the players on our teams. We know our TV shows. We know the celebrities. We know what songs they sing. We know all this kind of stuff. But what good is that? Unless you're on Jeopardy. And then you might win some money, right? We may even spend a lot of time on social media, on Facebook or whatever. But here's the book you need to be in. It needs to be God's book. You need to be in there. I need to be in there. We need to know more about God. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing inherently evil with all those things I just talked about. Okay? But if they keep us from knowing God, then there's an issue and we need to figure it out. We need to know who it is that we worship that will save humanity and eternity from hell. We need to see God. We need to know God. And we need to be transformed by God. Who is God? God's incomprehensible. Psalm 145.3 says this, Great is the Lord... He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. How big is God? I don't know. I can't measure it. How mighty is God? I don't know. I can't measure it. You can't measure it. I want to define it. I can't. It's too big. Turn to uh, the book of Romans. While you're turning to the book of Romans, I want to read from Isaiah. Romans chapter 11. Dan will put the... There we go. I'm going to read Isaiah 55. Where God said this, My thoughts are not your thoughts says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than yours, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God says, you can't measure my thoughts. You can't measure my ways. They're way beyond yours. Paul said in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, he said this, Oh, how great are God's riches, his wisdom, and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. There's no way. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who's given him so much that he needs to pay it back? Listen to this next verse. For everything comes from God and exists by his power and intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Paul's making it clear. We can never fully understand how big God is. Or about God. We may know some of God, like his love, but we'll never know it in whole. Not exhaustively. You know why? Because our sinfulness and his greatness keeps us from knowing him in completeness. But we can know him truly. We may not know him fully, but we can know him truly. Because we have truth that we can read and learn about God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-12 to say this. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God's prepared for those who love him. But it was so that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Now listen, it's verse 11. No one can know a person's thought except what? That person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's very spirit. And when we receive God's spirit, not the world's spirit, we can know the wonderful things that God's freely given us. You want to know more about God? You need God's spirit in you. Because God's spirit knows God. I can't fully know God, but God's spirit knows God. And if I want to know more about God, I need God's spirit in me communicating back and forth. Does that make sense? 
I hope so. It's right there in the Word. Okay? So church, not only should we have a passion and say, I want to know more about God, we should be crying out, I want more of your Spirit. I want your Spirit to speak to me so that I may know God. Only the Spirit of God knows the fullness of the glory of God. And if we want to know God, we need to know the Spirit of God for Him to reveal that to us. And if we want to be desperate to know God, we need to be desperate for the Spirit of God. What would our life look like if we had a desperation for knowing God? I mean, if we truly love somebody, you're different around them, aren't you? I mean, if you really love somebody, whether it be your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whether it's your daughter, your son, whether it's a a family member, a grandparent, if you really love them, just think about that for a second. If you really love them, would you stand up for them? Steve, if somebody's picking on your kid, you want to stand up for them? I don't even have to ask that. I mean, he's like, it's like, hold me back, right? Right? Where's, where's Dave Meyer at? If somebody said something about your wife, would that upset you? Oh, deeply. I'm just picking on a few people here. Think about that, church. Somebody you really love says something bad about that person. Or they do something to that person. How does that make you feel? Do you have that same kind of passion and emotion for God? When I hear certain people say certain words about Jesus Christ or God, my stomach turns. As if they can just throw his name out like it's whatever. No. And when they throw a few swear words in front of it, it gets me really upset. That's my Savior. That's my Lord. Do we defend him? If you know God, it will change how you live for him. When we truly know God, it changes how we worship If you know God deeply, it changes you deeply. Isaiah 40, 26 to 28. Turn there with me. So if you're in, uh, we're in Psalms. Go past that into Proverbs and keep going about two more books. You'll get to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, starting in verse 26. This is one of my favorite passages. Think about this. If, if you've never taken an astrology class or studied the stars and planets, sometimes just check it out. It is, it's mind-boggling, the, the number of galaxies and stars, okay? And then read Isaiah 40, 26 through 28. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by name. Bob, come on forward. You're looking good. You're shining bright today. Larry, good to see you. E725Z, looking good. Uh, He's got all kinds of names for him, right? We, We throw these little things out there. God calls him by name because of his great power and incomparable strength. Not a single one is missing. God's not like calling out the stars like, oh, what happened to Susie Star? It's not gonna happen. He never misses one. Never. 27, oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see her troubles? Just why don't you just put your name in there? Oh, Rex, how can you say God doesn't see your troubles? How can you say God ignores your rights? Haven't you heard? Haven't you understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And it goes on from there. You can read more if you want. 
But if you truly know God, then you will want others to know about God too. Here's the thing. I know God, and I'm still learning more about God, and I want to know more about God. But here's the thing. Because I know God, and I'm knowing God, and I'm learning about God, I want you to know about God. For the ladies that are in the ladies' study, the men's that are in the men's study, anytime you walk out and you get excited about something you've learned about God, what do you want to do? You want to tell others about God. Not just locally, but I hope globally. 3,400. 3,400. 3,000. 3,400. Why that number? It's just an estimate. It's not even an exact number. It's just an estimate. But that's how many people in Wauseon are unchurched right now. Somebody asked me, why are you planting a church? This is 10 years, I'm sorry, a little over 10 years ago, about 10 and a half years ago, somebody said, why are you planting a church? 3,400 people are unchurched. George Barna recently um, put out a book called America at the Crossroads, and it's, it's a new book, and it's really offers some disturbing surveys of trends impacting American culture and a church. And he says 46% of adults are now in church, which is an increase from 35% 10 years ago. It's like a percent every year. 10 years from now, does that mean 56% of America is going to be unchurched? 48% of the unchurched indicate they're not even concerned or connected to a church because it provides no value. And here's the thing. That's 46% that are unchurched, but we know this. Just because they're not at church doesn't mean they're not a Christian, but I know this. Just because you're at church doesn't mean you're a Christian either. So we can probably balance that out, and that makes me think 46% of Wauseon's population with the census back in 2010 was over 7,000. That's 3,400. 3,400 people who do not know God, and they don't know his son, Jesus Christ. 46% of your school, 46% of your teams, 40%... 46% of the people at your workplace, 46% of everything you step into are but might include people who don't know God. They don't know Jesus Christ. And they're probably going to end up in an eternal destination called hell. Church, it's important that we know God so that we're deeply passionate about God so we can tell others about God so that they cannot be a part of that. I'm not okay with that number. I hope you're not okay with that number. So when we come to church, we come here to worship and know God better, to deepen our relationship with Him so that we can see the glory of God. And as God changes us from the inside out, others will be drawn in saying, I like what you have. Why are you so different? Why, what's going on in your life? Because I know God. Church, why does this church exist? And not necessarily true north, but why does this church exist? To know God and make Him known. We want to know God and we want to make him known. To know God, we want to find freedom, as Pastor Landon was preaching about last week. We want to know God and we want to find freedom. Why? So that we can discover our purpose in God and go make a difference for him. And when this happens, we know God. It creates obedience. When you know God, you want to obey God. And how do we obey God? We put it into four simple words so that we will always remember what it means to know God and obey God. Oh, love God, love others. It should be switched around. That's all right. Love God, love others. That's our four words right there. That's our point of action. And if you know God and you love God, you're going to learn to love others. How do we do this? We got to get to know them by name, right? You start a relationship with somebody, what's the first thing you do? Hi, I'm Rex, and you are, okay, you don't do this. You get to know each other's name. So we might spend 
as God leads. Maybe the next Sunday, talking about the names of God so you know who God is. Maybe you go seek it on your own, right? But once you get to know their name, we get to know them a little bit more. And God is serious about his name. Psalm 113, 1-4 says this, Praise the Lord. Yes, give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord for now and forever. Everywhere from east to west, praise the name of the Lord. For the Lord is high above all nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. When Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and he said, you'll see my glory, but my name will be proclaimed. God said, you'll see my glory, and my name will be proclaimed. Put it right there together. As if he's equating his name and his presence. Exodus 33, 19, the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll call my name Yahweh before you. Exodus 34, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai with two blank stone tablets, and God meets him. And the Lord descends upon that mountain and the cloud and stone there, and he proclaims the name of the Lord and says this in verse 6, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and the transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of their fathers and their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. God is serious about his name. He told the people, you're not going to have any other names before me. You will not worship any other gods but me. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Exodus 20, verses 1 to 4. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness, anything that's in heaven or in the earth beneath, or that's in the water. See, when we know God's name, it fuels us to praise him. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. We'll pause. We'll stop for a second. Actually, we're going to wrap it up right now. Okay. So right now, some of your minds are clicking. Ah, service is done. Don't stop thinking. Okay. I want to give you a challenge. I want you to do this this week. Two things. One, pray that you will have a passion to want to know God more. Pray that you have a passion and desire to, to know Him more. Just like... You want to know others. I would challenge you as a church. Get to know people. There's, there's people who come in every Sunday and visit. And a lot of times I don't get to everybody and get a chance to say hi. wish I did. I, unfortunately, as you notice with this church, I don't stand at the door and shake everybody's hand. Greetings. Glad to have you here. Okay. We just haven't done that before. Okay. And I, that might be a change down the road. I don't know. But I can't get to everybody. And you can't either, but at least you can get to the people around you and people maybe you've never met before and you introduce, hi, I'm, and you just introduce yourself. You may have been going here for over a year and you've seen them for over a year and it's like, it's really embarrassing. I know they've been going here for like two years, but that's okay. It takes the intentionality of yourself to say, I need to go say hi and introduce yourself. And that's going to be the same way with you and I getting to know God better. It takes the intention of saying, you know what? I know that Bible's been sitting on my desk or on my drawer or on my coffee table at home for a couple of years and I pick it up every Sunday but I, I need to go over there and introduce myself to the word and open it up and read and know God more. Read through the Bible. Here's that second thing I want you to do. Don't just pray that you have a passion and desire to know God more. I want to encourage you. Read through the Bible discover the names of God. See how many names you can find in there and how they're used. That's it. That's it. That's all I'm asking you to do this week. 
And why is that? Because when we truly know God, it changes us. It changes how we worship. And if you know God deeply, it changes you deeply. If you truly love someone, you act different around them and towards them and for them. You stand up for them. You'll do anything for them. And as you know God more deeply, it will change how you stand for him and how you love him and how you pursue him. And your obedience changes. Your worship changes. Your desires to see other know God changes. For those of you that are working with our kids, I want to say thank you. Nursery, Children's Church, GPS, Tupas, here's the thing. You don't have to be a scholar to work with our children, okay? You know what you have to do? You have to say this. I'm learning to know God. I love God. I want these kids to know God. You are now qualified to work with our kids, to see our children know God and love God. That is huge. So for all the teachers and youth workers and people who volunteer with our children, thank you. That's what you're doing. Your passion and your love for God, and you're saying, I want them to know God. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. We need you. Would you please stand with me? As we close the song and, and, and worship God, if, as long as I know a believer might be singing, at least I heard him warming up, the Revelation song. Um, as we sing this song, it's a picture from Revelation chapter 4 before the throne room. And imagine just seeing God. And I'm going to ask that your heart just be, just to say, all right, God, I want to know you more. As you sing this song, just pray that. All right? Just pray that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. And God, we do want to know you more. We want to know more about you. We want to know not only who you are, but what you've done for us. And what's in crazy thing is, is that God, you are God above all things, creator of all things. You know all things. You know my heart. You know where I mess up. You know my secrets, the things I try to hide. You know my successes. You know my failures. And yet you love me. God, that's the same thing all of us in this room can say this morning. God, you know every single person in this room. You know their strengths, their weaknesses. You know their success. You know their failure. You know when they've stood for you, and you know when they've betrayed you. You know that about us, and yet you still love us. Thank you, God. God, because you love us, you want us to have a relationship with you. You don't want it to be casual. You don't want it to just be every now and then. You want a relationship with us. Because that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to bridge that gap. Because our sins are too big. You're a holy God. We mess up. Somebody's got to correct it. So thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take care of that, to bridge that gap, to die buried, to be resurrected from the dead, to come back to life, to conquer death, to conquer sin, to give us freedom so we can know you personally. God, if there's somebody in this room right now that doesn't know you, they want to know you. I pray right now where they're standing that the 
just confess. They don't know you. But they'll cry out to you. They want to know you. God, if we have sins that we need to ask for forgiveness of, God, we pray that right now. That you forgive us. And that you help us to draw near to you. God, we want to know you more so we can worship you more deeply, so we can be obedient, so we can tell others about you. God, as we sing to you now, just overwhelm us. Overwhelm us with your spirit. Help us have a moment where we just sit and say,